you're hot. Oh, gee. I'm wired. Yes, my uh, joke last week about if there's a lightning storm. <laughs> uh, when Pearl was telling about our daughter doing what she did at her home, I had to think of the, uh, the joke about that, that when you're taking stuff apart and repairing something and putting it back together, uh, you don't let the smoke out or it won't work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, in uh, thinking of what's, what's being taught, our lesson, the lessons that we're doing for Sabbath school and so on, uh, I, did, I, I tried too big of a job. I wanted to find lots of verses on prayer, thinking that maybe 25, maybe 50, and then I realized there's probably 100, and then I realized there's probably 200, and oh boy. <laughs> so uh, I had to draw that to a close and finish it. Uh, this week. So there's another one ready to go. But in doing so, I started thinking again about prayer and God woke me up in the night. <laughs> and I started thinking about some things that we neglect or we even think it's strange in the way of prayer. So today's sermon, what did I call it for a topic? <laughs> um, uh, to kneel or not to kneel. <laughs> That's a play on words, isn't it? But the whole idea of prayer and the position of prayer. So you have a funny name, how to, to kneel or not to kneel. Uh, it's like the guy that was ushering people in and people were coming in. You could see this picture uh, on a, a comedy type thing and you could see the people coming in the side door and you could tell there's two, two sides of the church and he's standing there greeting him. And how he greeted them was clapping or non-clapping. You know? <laughs> Uh, isn't there a strange thing in circles, church circles, of things like that? So to uh, how to pray. Well, when I was young, I didn't learn so much from my folks because I was, um, oh, nine, maybe eight before they accepted Christ as their Savior. And so there's little to no church before that. And then, uh, then you learn by watching others. So I didn't learn by kneeling at the side of the bed or you know things like what people would do with their, their little kids, little children, uh, teaching them to pray. Rather, I was observing, watching other people do things for prayer. So um, I start, made myself some notes about this, this part of this on uh, praying. You see the praying hands in a painting or you know, picture of a painting or a picture of a... Of a uh, artwork that somebody carved, um, but uh, that is not really supported by scripture. It doesn't say you must stand this way, you must do this, you must have elbows in. You must, you know. um, so what do you do with children when you're trying to teach them? Well, one thing I thought of when, when you're sitting at the table and the children are little, well, even not sitting at the table, when the children are little, you sometimes hold their hands so that they don't get fidgety and things when the adults have their eyes shut, <laughs> okay? And the same with the table, that they don't get a hold of a spoon and make noise or whatever, while, so you're holding their hands. But that is a very nice thing to do with adults. When you have a funeral or you have a heartache or you have something else, people will form a circle and hold hands. At the Dover camp, they go all the way around that big building so they can have 200 people maybe and they're all holding hands 
and singing a song together because we don't know if we'll see each other a year from now. Right. So that's a nice thing to sing. You say, why do they sing the same song every year? Well, it's still a nice song. <laughs> you know, until <laughs> we meet again. Um, but we learn things from that holding hands in, in prayer, having a prayer time. So examples are all around us of, of things. Uh, when uh, Jesus' disciples came to him and he said, John the Baptist has been teaching his disciples to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. A soul. <laughs> We need to see things like that in the scriptures and say, how did Jesus respond? What was John the Baptist teaching? It's not written down. But why did they even ask to have to pray? Because something was different than going to the building in those days and telling a priest that you want this and this brought before God. And then he did whatever he did. Times were changing. Remember, Jesus says, they won't be praying in this mountain nor that mountain because now we can pray anywhere we are, right? So Jesus didn't say to them, you must stand in this position, you must sit in that position. Rather, he just started telling them what was, would be appropriate to ask for and how to, how to ask for it. So then uh, I started thinking about, um, yeah, the children, I wrote on here about the children um, whether the eyes are open or closed, and you know, I'm always joking about it. if you're driving and pray, you're supposed to pray without ceasing, but if you're driving, don't shut your eyes. <laughs> okay. So there's all kinds of things. If you're doing machinery work or uh, mechanical work or uh, driving nails, uh, whatever you're doing, um, pray with your eyes open, of course, but we're supposed to pray without ceasing. A continual thought of prayer on our minds all the time so that we don't have to stop and form a position or have to wait till the clock is at such and such a place before you can um, get down and have a prayer, right? Uh, there's no prayer cloths. I've heard of people using prayer cloths to have with them whenever they're gonna pray. Um, that's not, if somebody was sick and they sent a cloth, that's a whole different story, okay? But it's not a cloth that you carry around with you 24 hours a day. Um, then there's, uh, uh, closing the eyes, whether you close your eyes or not. And I remember when I was young, I, I thought uh, when these other fellows got baptized and they were serving God differently than I was because I wasn't baptized, I thought one day I'm going to get baptized and I'm going to shut my eyes when the prayers are being said because obviously I'd had my eyes open and <laughs> saw what they were doing. <laughs> okay. So, um, uh, but we know that shutting the eyes is not the ultimate, it's uh, attitude and what's going on in your mind, where your mind is at while you're praying. Uh, let's see, a couple more things. Uh, it's pray without ceasing. Watch out for the words and how they, you know, at camp and so on. Okay, so I covered everything there that I wanted to have some background to what I was doing. I brought along my computer, of course, I'll open it so that it's ready if and then I grab for it. There we go. Um, okay, got it up in front of me. So I've got some verses on here, maybe more than I should have, but hopefully I can go fast or talk through them. 
okay? So that it's not too uh, clumsy uh, with too many verses. But the idea that I wanted to talk about was words on knee, kneeling, kneeled, and a couple others. Kneeling, knees, plural, knee, singular. And uh, I started finding a lot of verses. Sometimes churches don't bother to kneel. They, like, I, I know people have difficulty in kneeling. I, I'm getting that way in myself. And if you get down, you maybe can't get up, you know. <laughs> um, that's a different story, right? Where's your heart at? But some churches, when you go, you must kneel facing forward or you must kneel turned around the other way with your hands on the seat. No, there, there's no scriptures like that. Some kind of tradition that somebody started somewhere. Kneeling is a lot. It's all over the Bible. So maybe we should consider that one. But if you're driving your car, it's pretty tough to, <laughs> to kneel. And, okay? uh, all these things have been culturalized or whatever, or era. Uh, you know, if you went to a certain building at a certain time of the day uh, in the Old Testament, um, kneeling might have been more of the thing. But um, we don't have that nowadays. So we have to think about what is nice to do and what's appropriate and nice. So kneeling is uh, uh, an interesting thing to uh, be a part of. So I, I looked up in the, um, I was going to say I looked it up here in the encyclopedia. No, I guess not, not this one. It's a different one I had looked up. But I found one in Isaiah 45, 23. And uh, it says, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out, out of my mouth, in righteousness and shall not return unto me, no, shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow uh, and in every tongue shall swear or confess the truth of the matter of him. And when you think about that, every knee shall bow, must be important. But the main thing that you're after there too is that uh, some will refuse to kneel. Now you get a problem. Okay? Attitude comes into it. If somebody says, let's all kneel and have prayer for this special cause, you should not worry about it. That's a one-time deal. You, you do, you know, you do what's appropriate at the time. If it's hard to kneel, don't kneel. Some people kneel forward. I was mentioning that just a moment ago, but some kneel forward so that they can get a hold of the seat in front of them, the pew in front of them, so that you can get up easier. And turning around, if the pews are close together, it's a little awkward to turn around. In my young life, we all turned around and knelt with her, because you might be there an hour. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. uh, some people came to the front and knelt at a, at, a, at a step or at a pew or something, they'd come forward and pray there, and others would come and pray with them, with their hand on their back or something, just so that they know that there's somebody there, and they would pray either out loud or silently. But prayer should not be a struggle. We should not have a problem with praying. It's the attitude of the person. If they're crying very tough and they need a Kleenex, you know, uh, we can help them, we can be there, we can say, I'm praying with you, or 
something to help that person. We don't have to ask, what is it, you know? Uh, we don't have to do that, but be there for them. Uh, so some other verses that would come up is in Romans 14, verse 11. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Interesting. That's a New Testament verse that we would kneel to Jesus and kneel to the Heavenly Father. Some say, well, if you kneel here, you, um, who are you kneeling to, the preacher or to, uh, you know, should you kneel west, should you kneel east? You know, forget about all those things. The children of Israel had to kneel facing Jerusalem. The reason is that because there was a Bible verse that said, if you are anywhere in the world and you pray to this building, pray to this direction, to this house of God, he'll hear you. Well, yeah, why not? Where was Daniel? Aha. He was way out there, 600, well, 400 miles away. And he tried to face where that building would be. From where he was, it would be east. Well, he was in the east. It'd be towards the west that he was looking he had his windows open. He was praying. I'll get there in a little bit too, in just a moment. But I thought about it in the night while I was studying. I thought, where is Jerusalem from here? Well, actually, because it's a ball, you can almost look any direction. You'll still get there. Okay. But if you did want to take the angle, it's about 40 degrees off this direction, 40 degrees off of zero um, to get direct, the shortest distance over to Jerusalem. Well... We're not instructed that way. When Jesus told his disciples, okay, I'm going to teach you how to pray. He didn't say, turn this way, turn that way. Look up. Well, he didn't even say look up. He just said, when you pray and what you should be thinking of saying. So let's keep going. In uh, Philippians 2 and verse 10, it says, that the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. If there's a day coming when they're going to have to bow, why don't we learn it now? That would make sense, right? We don't want to be forced to bow to Jesus. We should be glad to bow to Jesus and to kneel before Jesus. So bowing and bowing the knee, sometimes it says too. Um, or every knee shall bow. That's bending your knees, kneeling down. Okay, uh, another verse in uh, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 11, it says, and not every tongue that should, pardon me, I probably should look it up, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and uh, to the glory of God the Father. So to the glory of God, when you're bowing, um, confessing uh, to, to Jesus, or you're actually talking to the Heavenly Father in Jesus' name. So both areas are covered. Then in uh, some of these, and some of these I don't have on this computer. Okay, I want to go to Psalm uh, 95, verse 6. O come and let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And then I put a little note after that. Read this chapter. So turn with me to 95. <laughs> 
Let's not do the whole chapter, but let me get some of it. Psalm 95. Psalm 95. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Interesting, talking about the Heavenly Father and, and our Lord. It's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital E. means the Father, Heavenly Father, Jehovah. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. So why not read the psalms and sing the psalms? Sing songs that are made from the scriptures. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Heavenly Father wants us to remember that, to think about that. Uh, in his hand are the deep places of the earth. So you think, okay, the lowest place in the ocean. Yeah, God made that. He knows what's going on down there. Okay. And the strength of the hills are also is his also. Uh, and there I can really uh, attend to that because I love the mountains. I love being up high and looking down and viewing God's creation and so on. Even when I'm driving through the mountains, I wish I could take the binoculars and study every hill and every rock and every stone because I love what God made. It's a really good deal. So we need to pray to him and thank him for making that. The sea is his. Wow. If you've ever been on the ocean or standing at the shore, you can just, oh, it's awesome. Uh, amazing, absolutely amazing. And when I'd be out in the ocean, I'd be, let's see, there's a hundred fathoms of water below me. Oh boy. And like my family used to say, if I went overboard with my toolbox, I'd get down there and I'd hang onto the toolbox and I'd walk to the shore. So I would not give up those tools. <laughs> Uh, we know that's not possible, but 600 feet below you? Yeah, I know, you're not going to walk to shore. <laughs> you're going to let go of that toolbox. But we can marvel at what God made and what is down underneath it. It looks like nothing. Some places you can take a glass or a, a bottle or something and look down and you realize there's next to nothing here. And then you look at the people that are doing diving. Wow, there's beauty down there. It's all kinds of things that God has made. His hands formed the dry, ground, dry land. And it's funny how in some places the mud goes to the bottom, other places you have dirt above the soil, above the water. Hey, wow, how come it didn't turn over? Or why didn't it just all settle to the bottom? And uh, If I was doing it, it would all settle to the bottom. <laughs> God is a master builder. Oh, come let us worship and bow down. What does that say to us? There's times when we should bow down in honor to our Heavenly Father, the creator of this earth. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. To, today, if you will hear his voice. I thought, I've got to get this verse. It's today that's important, right? Today, harden not your hearts as in the provocation and as 
in the day of temptation in the wilderness when the children of Israel were misbehaving and tempting God and saying, you can't do it. You're a God, but you can't do this. Oh, yes, he could. It's dry ground. How are you going to get enough water coming out of a river, out of a hill somewhere, but you're going to have water coming out of there to feed, to water a thousand, a million people. Wow. And all their animals. Wow. No problem for God. <laughs> Don't tell him you can't. <laughs> okay. okay. God's able to give the water even in a wilderness. And food. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, tested, and didn't want to, you can't do this. They're, they're trying to prove him. Show, show me how you do it. You know, this. Um, yeah, he did it. Um, proved me and, and saw my works. They saw everything that he had built and what he did when he got him out of Egypt and all the other things that went on. And yet 40 years long was I grieved with this generation. The people he brought out of Egypt, they, they saw all these things happen. They still didn't take hold on it and believe that he was the supreme God. It is a people that do err in their heart, and there is our problem. They wouldn't give their heart to the Lord and fully believe in him. And they have not known my ways. They haven't contemplated everything that he can do and how he does it and how big he is, how strong he is, how much he can provide for us very, very easily. Unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. Well, if he won't take them into the promised land, because they were that way, they were backward and belligerent and stubborn and whatever, hard-hearted, and if he wouldn't take him in, what about nowadays? We've got to make sure that we're ready to meet our maker and that we're ready to go to his promised future for us. So let's keep going. Um, Psalm 95, yes, I read that one. And then let's go to um, Neold. Uh, and th this one's amazing. You'd actually have to read more here than what I have time for, but it's in 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 13 about Solomon. And while you're there, mark yourself a little thing saying, 1 Kings 18.54 is talking about the same thing. At least the chapter, chapter 18 in, in, second, in First Kings and Second Chronicles chapter 6. They're almost identical. How come this happened? Well, it's always nice to have two witnesses or more. Okay. Secondly, one of these was made for the king's benefit with his scribe. The others were done for the religious scribe by religious needs and uh, to write in a, a thing that the priests would read or the Levites would read. So you've got the double, double, double reason there. The, Solomon made this platform. And actually there's, there's verses about the priests should not walk up steps to go to the altars and so on uh, so that they wouldn't discover their skirts. Now I don't know how long their tunic was, but there's something there that we don't get. And they knew about it. And they were careful on those things. Coming up two steps up here is no problem. It's just so that my voice carries over the top of the pews. Okay, if you had a tall person, you wouldn't need it, right? 
But there's a reason for not being up. But here, he used it. And I, wow, isn't that neat? If he didn't use it, he would have been down there amongst all the people. And his actions would not have been seen, would not have been recorded. So this was perfect. They didn't make any big deal out of it. This platform or scaffold, as you can call it, some um, translations give it a little different. But it was brazen or brass, strong. And it was, if you do the mathematics, it was seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet by four and a half feet high. So he was four and a half feet up from that floor to somewhere up here. And he was up so people could see him. And the people were standing, which made it a little worse. He had to be a little higher, right? So they could see what he was doing. Well, what did he do? He worshipped there in front of all of the congregation. So uh, I want to see, I'll take one of these. Just I, I guess I got the Second Chronicles in here easy and straight away. Um, for Solomon had made a brazen scaffold and the cubits and the cubits and the cubits uh, in the midst of the court. So out in the middle of everywhere where everybody was going to be able to see him. Uh, and upon it, he stood. So first he climbed up there and he stood. And everybody knew, okay, pay, pay attention. Something, something's going to happen. And then he kneeled down upon his knees before all the congregation of Israel. Now that would be kind of weird if it's really unusual. And he knelt down. They're either going to be really hushed and really reverent and really shocked as to what's going on not sure what's happening, but they, uh, they noticed this. So he knelt before the congregation. He wasn't in his closet. He was in this congregation. And he spread forth his hands towards heaven. So whether he went this way or this way, I don't know. It was a free thing that he was able to do. It wasn't a given position that he had to be at a certain angle, elbows bent or whatever, none of that sort of stuff. Um, but he did spread his hands forth, probably forward, and upward towards heaven. And Daniel did the same thing, didn't he? If I jump here now to Daniel's example, uh, when Daniel knew that the writing had been made, a command had been made by the government, and that he was going to be in some kind of trouble, he didn't know what. You don't give up before you get started, right? So in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, it says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was, was signed by the king, he went into his house, because you don't just throw yourself to the wolves, okay? He went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. All of these things are very, very important. He went into his own chamber, the windows were open, he faced Jerusalem. He was going to do his normal prayer. We'll find that here in just a little bit. He kneeled upon his knees. So that's really sure to know what he did. He didn't just bow his head and say, I knelt down. He bent his knees. His normal thing was three times a day, and he prayed and gave thanks before God as he did aforetime. Some translations made it a little clearer that this was a normal routine for him to do, that he would do this action, he would go to his room, he had the windows open, he would pray towards Jerusalem, 
that was normal for him. So he just did his normal prayers. And uh, of course, the others were watching and they, they wanted to report him. Sometimes we need to do our normal prayers in a very usual way, regardless of whether somebody wants to scold us for our mannerisms or not. Okay, then he, uh, in Acts, no, in Luke, I got Luke 22, verse 41. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast. Who's this? This is Jesus and the 12 in the garden. And he withdrew from them, it says here, little ways, about a stone's cast. I, I started thinking, you know, in mathematics, how far can you throw a stone? Would it be 100 feet? They were watching. <laughs> okay, he did not go into a private area or a private closet. He was where they could see. Somebody wrote it down, but he was a stone's throw away. And uh, uh, let's see, Dan. In Matthew, uh, Matthew 10, 17, and when he was gone forth uh, into the way, Oh, no, I'm getting ahead of where I was. Daniel, Mark, Luke. Okay, in Luke 22, 41. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast. And kneeling down, he prayed. So that's Jesus praying. In Acts 7, 60, uh, it says, And he knelt down and cried with a loud voice. You know who this was? Acts 7? Oh. What? I didn't hear you. Stephen, right on. I got it in these other notes. I made sure I had it with me. Stephen. Okay, so he kneeled down. And people were recording that. That's in Acts 7 and verse 60. He knelt down and he cried with a loud voice uh, saying, that the sin should not be to their charge. With this, he fell asleep. Interesting, the word sleep is here as well. If you're preaching about um, uh, dying and death and so on, and, and whether you sleep in the grave or uh, he fell asleep. And he was going to be permanent at that until the Lord comes. <laughs> okay. But he, uh, he was being accused of uh, going with a sedition that was against the Hebrew culture. And Jesus was showing a new way of life, a new way to pray, a new way to, to live right. And that was not acceptable by the Hebrew authorities. Then, uh, then I get to, um, oh yes, in, uh, in Mark 10, 17, uh, this is about a man that came to Jesus. And when he was gone forth, Jesus went forth, and was in the way, in the street, in the walkway of the street, there came one running and knelt down to him and asked him, Lord, or no, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Interesting that of the type of question that was given, but and where he did it, that it was seen by all. And, and I was marveling at the rest of the verses around it, let me just take my notes here because I wrote quite a bit around these, some of these. Um, yes, we had Stephen. 
And over here, uh, when he fell asleep, oh yes. If you were in some services, they would have a problem, wouldn't they? As soon as he died, he went to heaven. No, he fell asleep. <laughs> so that really supports this, the scriptures and the stories about sleeping in the grave and being called to wake up and to come meet the Lord. Um, that's a good one for that. Um, in Acts uh, 9, 40, Peter put them all forth because he was going to do a certain action by prayer. And he knelt down and prayed and turning to the body of Tabitha. The reason he said that was she was dead. People were mocking him because he said, she's dead. Leave her alone, you know, whatever. Leave the family alone. She's dead. But he put them all forth, put them out of the house. And then he kneeled down. It's kind of important then, right? This was a normal action for him to do. He didn't just stand over and, where's my bottle of oil, you know, uh, right? <laughs> he just knelt down and started praying. And Tabitha, he said to her then, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And that's a neat story to read there around Acts 9 and verse 40. She was awake, she was alive, she was doing well, and he presented her to the family. But he knelt down before he prayed. In Acts 20, 36, and when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them there. And what is this? Well, he was traveling back to Jerusalem. This is Paul traveling back to Jerusalem. And he was over there at Melita, which if you look on the maps, there's a little inlet into, uh, into Ephesus. Um, Ephesian people went into Ephesus, but he was around the other corner. So he sent a message over and those people from the Ephesian church came over, the elders came over and visited with him and they had prayer together. And what did they do here? Uh, he was on his way to Jerusalem and he was at Miletus. Um, and then in uh, the next chapter, verse 5, so Acts 21, verse 5, and when he had accomplished those days, and actually if you look it up around that verse as well, there were seven days that they were there unloading the ship, getting the things off of the ship. And then he, so he was able to visit with those people. So when he had accomplished those days, he departed and went his way, and they all brought, uh, and they all brought us on our way. That means traveling with them, being... Uh, encouraged, walked with, and talked with, with wives and children. Everybody's in this, right? This is an example to the children. Until we were out of the city. So maybe there was something wrong with the city, but their, their distance that they had to go to the boat, we don't know where that was and how difficult it was to get to the boat wharfs and so on. So anyway, they were outside of the city and we knelt down. So the further... They, as they got further and further away from the city, they were getting closer and closer to the boat and the time of departure. So this would be a good time to have a prayer for the travel and for the people that were there. And they knelt down on the shore and prayed. Remember the other story where the women were praying by the water and Paul went there? Yeah, they were praying where they were. They had a separate place where they were. But they knelt down on the sand or the shore, you know, they, on the ground. They knelt out there. Didn't have to be a building. 
Okay, then I, I went back to the story of, uh, I get those two stories. I wrote out the other verse here from 1 Kings 8 and verse 54 that matched with 2 Chronicles. And I really like it because it said, he knelt down on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. So I wanted that one to be sure. And then uh, further down here in uh, Matthew 17, 14. And when we were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, you know, I thought we heard from high-ranking people that you should not pray to Jesus. What? Jesus can't receive worship? You see, you find some of these verses in various topics when you're going through and you find they, 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 there was a prayer being said here and they knelt down to Jesus and then Jesus said, hey, don't do that. I'm just a human like the rest of you. No, that was somebody else's story, wasn't it? Well, oh yeah, that was somebody else's. Um, here, Jesus did not refuse the affection that they showed and the prayers that they asked. I know this word kneeling down here or uh, asking, uh, I pray thee, you know, is something that's, that's not necessarily a prayer. Uh, they were kneeling to a dignitary, but Jesus did not refuse any of this. That's important for us to remember. In Matthew 17, verse 14, and when they were come to the multitude, uh, no, I'm getting, I went back one line. Next verse down is uh, Mark 1, 40. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. You can heal me. And Jesus didn't say, uh, you should not kneel. Um, you know, uh, you, you need to ask a different way. You know, I, I'm not a, a miracle worker or whatever. He was, and he did not refuse the affection of the people. He was the son of God. He didn't have to be advertised or explained to him. He was the son of God. He knew. In Ezra, I'm jumping some here too now. Ezra chapter 9 and verse 5. And the evening sacrifice, I arose up from my heaviness and having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread my hands and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God. This is an action that was normal for them to do. Okay, that's the point I was trying to get to, to get down on your knees and what, what you do with your hands is up to you. It's, I've seen people that hold them high, some hold them kind of wide, some are up, some are this way, some are that way. Um, we should not let that uh, detract from the attitude and spirit of the meeting that's going on. If the person appears to be sincere and they're making sincere actions, they're not doing it for show, um, leave it, let God deal with it. Okay, in Ezra chapter nine and verse five, that was the one with the evening sacrifice and he knelt down. Uh, okay, and then Daniel 6 and verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, remember I talked about that before? What did he do? He um, knelt down on his knees and prayed. Um, so in conclusion, I got a few verses here that are gonna to tie together as a conclusion. But in, when uh, Simon Peter saw it, 
he fell down at Jesus' knees. I think I wrote out some more of this. This is as though Peter was praying to Jesus. And he, uh, we need to look at Luke 5. Yes, Luke 5. And a little more than just verse 8. So turn with me to Luke chapter 5. You want to know what was happening here. This is the fish. Miraculous drought of fish. When they drew the nets in and got a very large drought of fish. In Luke chapter 5, okay, and it's going to be near verse 8, so I want to look there. I like to go back to the paragraph, which starts at verse 12 and kind of fit things together. But uh, when Jesus came in uh, verse 8, Simon Peter, when he saw it, he fell down. So Jesus had just done the miracle. Yeah, in verse 4 and 5, he said, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. And they're saying, Master, we've toiled all night and we didn't get anything. You know, what's going to be different here? Well, Jesus was going to show that he can do miracles still at this time. And um, so when he did that and they got the tremendous number of of, uh, fish so that the ship began to sink, uh, then Peter got himself out of there and he came to Jesus and he fell on his knees before Jesus. Well, can't we kneel before Jesus here? We can. We don't have to be any certain orientation, but if we know we're praying to Jesus or we're kneeling before Jesus, talking to the Heavenly Father in Jesus' name, you know, if you kneel in your car, does that make your car a different kind of an object? No. Doesn't do this building any good neither. It's made out of wood. But it's between the knees and the Heavenly Father or whether you're talking to Jesus. You're not kneeling to this bench or this wall or this picture. You're kneeling to the Heavenly Father, kneeling to Jesus. So that's why I wanted to put this one in here. And uh, and Peter said, uh, depart from me for I am a sinful man. Uh, No, he wasn't. He was a good man. But he realized his position before a holy God. God family, Jesus Christ, Son of God. And he realized his position was pretty low. And then in Ephesians um, 3 and verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of the eternal plan, because of the eternal Heavenly Father, And the verses above, it'll use the word purpose. Look for that word purpose. It was God's purpose that all of this should happen. So then he was able to say, for this cause, I bow my knees. And that's how I feel. That because of the whole plan, because we understand the plan of salvation, because we understand who the Heavenly Father is and how great he is, and the Son of God equally, we have no problem in kneeling before them and praying to the Heavenly Father in Jesus' name. Thank you. May God bless you.